I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is the story of how one small island conquered the world. Jamaican Patwa. And a fair start, a Sapa Pound. Usain Bolt is also out well. Here they come down the track. Usain Bolt! It's a story of music, sport, and style. How its rhythms, athletes, and language went global. Pull up, pull up. This is how Jamaica conquered the world. My name is Sister Carol. I'm the original root daughter from Kingston, Jamaica. My name is DJ Rondon. I'm located in New York City, US of A. I got a honey goes a honey clips. Nigga, I'm from New York, New York. My name is Johnny Wonder. I do digital distribution and radio marketing and promotion out of Brooklyn, New York. My name is Marlon Bishop. I'm a journalist and radio producer with Afropop Worldwide in New York City. My name is Wayne Marshall. I'm a musicologist from Cambridge, Massachusetts. My name is Martina Clark. I am currently in Belgium, but I live in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my name is Michael Goldwasser. I am a record producer, primarily with Easy Star Records, based in New York City. Caribbean identities are very strong in New York City. We have, I believe, the largest Caribbean American population in the country. We have almost one million Dominicans in New York, which is almost an eighth of the population of the entire city. So this is really a Caribbean city in a lot of ways. My mom once told me that she said early in the 60s, if you're from Jamaica, you would be the first person considered to get a job because the word on the street was that if you hire a Jamaican, you can get the job done so well and for so little that they were looking for Jamaicans. You start to see the fruits of Jamaican migration in the uh, early to mid-70s. I think the real crucial figure is DJ Cool Herc, also known as Clive Campbell, who grew up in Jamaica in Kingston uh, until about the age of 11, when in 1967, he moves to join his mother in the Bronx. When I migrated to the United States in 1973, as a teenager, it was quite a culture shock. There was still, to a certain extent, a kind of even hostility toward things from the Caribbean or at them as being backwards, primitive, off the boat, and that sort of thing. And so for Herc himself, a big part of his story had to do with presenting himself not as a Jamaican. Yeah, I moved to a place called Brownsville in Brooklyn, you know, and moved in with my mom and my brothers and my sister. 
there wasn't too much Caribbean people in the area and we had to go places like Utica Avenue over on East Flatbush or Nostrand Avenue or Flatbush Avenue to get like Jamaican food and to get Jamaican items. Reggae music was like minuscule in New York City. Every time you hear a reggae song on the radio, you'd run to the radio and turn it up. We had problems when we go to school because when we go to school, we didn't talk like how they expected us to talk. It's like a challenging situation as well, you know. Every time you went to school and people ask you to read, once you start reading, they would laugh at you. And they used to say things like, you come over here with your coconut head and your boom boom music. The story of Cool Herc is pretty interesting because although he had a great love for Jamaican music and culture, you know, he found himself in a slightly tricky predicament. Not only did he not have success playing Jamaican music at parties, growing up as an adolescent in the Bronx, he talks about how having to hide, having to change his accent. Even while Herc was doing his best to sort of fit in, he and, and his peers like Africa Bambata and Grandmaster Flash, all of whom have Caribbean parentage, they took the sort of reggae style sound system approach to play other kinds of music, namely funk and hard soul and that kind of thing. They took the, um, the sort of liberation of the turntables as put forward in reggae to create something new, manipulate and to sort of specialize records. So there's that way in which hip-hop really does sort of take off from Jamaican sound system aesthetics. The year was about 1980 or so. I used to be in a park in Manhattan called Washington Square Park, and it was a lot of Caribbean people, not only Jamaican, and we used to play soccer, and the boomboxes back then were always playing reggae music. That's how I really first experienced Caribbean and dancehall and Jamaican people. So the club in New York at the time, there wasn't many like they have now. Like, you know, you would have Negril, which was on um, 2nd Avenue. The Reggae Lounge, which was on Elizabeth Street first, and then it moved down to West Broadway. Then you had another club in Brooklyn called Love People One. So, snapshot of the clubs was, they were always packed because there wasn't a lot of them. The club scene back then was the music of that era. You would be hearing the Dennis Browns, the Gregory Isaacs, Black Yahuru, until the dance hall started to come in. The Sling thing and the Panani and all of them things. That's what it was. People used to just come in, have a good time. At that time of the 80s, you know, it was a good time. Man and woman used to dance together and all of that stuff. Maybe the song would play for a good two minutes before you would mix in the other one. Not like today where it's 15 seconds. It's not until later that, say, styles of rapping start to take on some influence from, say, dancehall reggae, which is, it's not until about 1985, 1986 that you start to have Jamaican flows, you know, Jamaican rap styles turning up in the mix. Notably with Shinehead, of course, another Jamaican transplant to New York, but then I think probably most powerfully with KRS-One and Boogie Down Productions, and especially their breakthrough album Criminal Minded, which not only kind of reconfigured the sound of hardcore New York rap, but did so in a way that was very, very indebted to contemporary dancehall style. You can't sound like Shan or the one Marley, because Shan and Marley Marl and my rhyming like the gay, picking up the mic, man, and don't know what to say, saying hip-hop started out in Queensbridge, saying lines like that, man, you know them can't live, so tell them again, we come to tell them again. Sampling actual dancehall records to 
using Jamaican accents, Jamaican terminology, Jamaican, you know, melodies from the previous five years or so. So in a sense, uh, sort of remaking hip hop uh, within a broader kind of sound system aesthetic and one that by that point had been very powerfully shaped by new migrants to New York from Jamaica. Part of the reason that the meanings of Jamaicanness could change so much in a place like New York is that between 1973 and 1985, you have massive movement from Jamaica to New York, especially from Kingston and across classes. In contrast to prior migrations, all of this really works to very powerfully reconfigure what Jamaicanness could stand for in a place like the Bronx. Really criminal-minded changes things. It makes it cool to sound Jamaican. That had a major effect on first and second generation Jamaicans living in New York. You had guys who probably grew up not with a Jamaican accent, grew up with a New York accent, but certainly grew up whether they were speaking Jamaican style at home. And therefore, for these guys like Buster Rhymes, Biggie Smalls, and so forth, they can now draw on Jamaican style as a kind of cultural resource represented as kind of the height of urban black authenticity. And you'll find guys like Busta, Biggie, and so forth peppering their rhymes with references to Jamaica and to reggae here and there. It really became quite subtly a part of the texture of Brooklyn and the sound of rap coming out of New York. So that by the early 90s, hearing these Jamaican voices is downright commonplace. And in fact, it really becomes a, certainly a way of marking New Yorkness within hip hop. You know, up here in New York, you know, everything was big. Slang thing, you know, I, I remember when Panani came out, I remember when Chinatown came out. Those type of things were, were big. You know, as a Chinat being a New York artist, everybody used to love that. You know, and then you had some New York, you know, people like Jossie and Superpower and, you know, like Whitney and them that used to have their own things with like Trevor Sparks and those artists. Oh, well, are we, are There's a lot of ways in which Jamaican culture manifests itself in New York. The music has always just been a large part of our, our culture here. Growing up in Queens in the 90s, we heard dance hall on the radio all the time. And my earliest experiences, you know, dancing with girls was dancing reggae music in a, the basement dances of my junior high school. Don't drink coffee, I drink roots, my dear. And I love my morning ride You can see it in my motions when I walk I'm a Jamaican in New York One of the great things about living in New York is that there are a lot of Jamaican artists who have decided to settle here. Certainly, New York is one of the places where any reggae artist who is on tour is going to come. I mean, often reggae artists come here just to New York to do some shows because there might not be enough of an appeal for them other places in the States except maybe, you know, Miami. New York is the place to be if you want to hear reggae in the U.S. So anytime you go to a reggae show or a dance, you're probably going to run into some artists whose records you used to listen to, uh, you know, 20 years ago. I found myself about a year ago, I walked into the rehearsal hall and there was this old guy singing and I thought that's a song that sounds very familiar and I sat down and waited while the other musicians were still playing and I realized that it was Johnny Osborne singing I want an ice cream lover 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It was just one of those moments where I was <laughs> I was just in heaven. Kian Success, Mikey Jarrett, Reverend Badu, Shined, Santa Rankin, Shelly Tonda. Willow Wilson, Silver Fox, this engineer called Philip Smart out of HCNF Studio. One prolific producer who was very influential in starting out things in New York City, Jalai, Hyman Wright. One of his biggest songs to date is Barrington Levy's Murderer, was recorded in New York City. When Shaggy came out with his first hit song as Carolina, you know, it was all about his management and, you know, the right company picking him up at the same time that promoted him and it sells the thing to a next level. Sometimes it's, it's, it's not what you do, sometimes it's who you know. Because after that, Shaggy blew up on the international scene, but it was really New York City where he started. Here in New York, there's uh, a significant Jamaican Panamanian population. Actually, uh, located three blocks from where I'm sitting right now on Franklin Avenue, which is the kind of thoroughfare of, of the Jamaican Panamanian community here in New York. And the presence of that community meant the presence of, of Spanish language reggae in, in the 80s and 90s. And specifically, one star named El General, or the General, became really popular among Latinos in New York. And he was a Panamanian who uh, had moved to New York to study accounting or something like that. And, and his reggae career just took off. He had some famous songs like Muevelo, Tu Pun Pun. I mean, they, these were big hits. 
Spanish reggae hits in New York at the time. And through that process, they made it back to Puerto Rico through the kind of immigrant cultural highways that uh, zip around uh, New York and, and the Caribbean and, and Central America, and eventually made it to Puerto Rico, where they became part of this music style that would eventually evolve into reggaeton and, and take over the, the Spanish-speaking world. You know, sound clash was big. I mean, especially in Brooklyn. I mean, Biltmore Ballroom, that's the Warhouse. You know, Tilden Ballroom. You know, and up in the Bronx, they used to have their own thing. But I can only tell you about Brooklyn and Manhattan. You know, but there wasn't too many of them type of stuff happening in Manhattan. It was mostly in Brooklyn. And they used to have Empire Skating Ring. It used to be big in Brooklyn. Very big. Out of New York, King Addis, Earth Ruler. There was a lot of other sounds, LP, but you know, to me, Addis and them always held down Brooklyn. There was Third World, there was Fergo Digital, there was Mini March, Terrorist. There was a lot of sounds represented Brooklyn. I don't know if I missed anybody else, but that to me was the representation of Brooklyn. An essential part of being in a Japanese sound system is not just learning the culture in Japan, but going to learn about Jamaican culture firsthand. That really means a pilgrimage to New York. Most reggae sound systems who are serious about the craft end up coming to New York, staying for a little while, and then sometimes moving on from New York to Jamaica or taking trips to Jamaica. And of course, there are other pathways. Some people go to the UK. Some people go to other centers of Jamaican culture. But, but New York tends to be it. At any given time, here in New York, there are, I've been told, about a dozen Japanese sound systems kicking about. They live in various parts of the boroughs, but, but generally living in Jamaican neighborhoods, take jobs in Jamaican neighborhoods, and they really are here with the sole purpose of just soaking in Jamaican culture, learning as authentically as possible how to properly either MC or, or whatever. The live music scene for reggae in New York is actually a very interesting thing because, surprisingly, you don't have as much live reggae as you might expect, considering the population of New York. You get a lot of artists who come through, but to find actual live reggae, just people playing reggae for fun, you have to really go into the smaller clubs. There's a place called Footprints down deep into Brooklyn, and there you have music almost certainly several nights a week. Um, there's also a wonderful place called The Shrine up in Harlem, and they often have reggae bands even up in the Bronx, almost practically to Canada, it's so far north. There are little tiny clubs where you hear amazing groups. About five years in Manhattan, I moved to Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, which is really uh, deep in the heart of the Caribbean community. It's a huge population of people from Jamaica, and I found myself absolutely in heaven because I started to hear reggae on the streets and restaurants and bars and cafes and people's cars driving by everywhere. And this one is dedicated to all the youth from all over the world. 
In Brooklyn, I think that you find the the very very strong Caribbean influence is、uh, certainly in Bed Stuy, which historically has I think the longest stronghold of Caribbean population in I think in the United States, but certainly in the New York City area, that's for certain. And then you move south down into、uh, Crown Heights, huge population. There you can find your your roti and your beef patty, your jerk chicken and such. And then you move down, I think, into Karnasi is another area has a lot of Caribbean. People and the other neighborhoods, you start to get into different populations. I think Fort Greene used to be very heavily Caribbean, and it is changing dramatically. Although it's still a wonderful neighborhood. In Brooklyn, you got Flatbush and East Flatbush, and them places is like Caribbean. From the teens, from 18th Street, 19th Street, from Ocean Avenue, straight through the 20s, 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 90s. You know, they now they people have gone to Canarsie and this and this and that, and you know Crown Heights and those type of places. That those are the neighborhoods, and you know you had the Superpower Records and the Witties and the Jollives, Apache Bake Shop, and all of those stuff. Basically, where the neighborhoods was. Flatbush is pretty much, you would say, the mecca of the Caribbean, because pretty much, you know, Jamaican, Trinidadian, Guyanese, Haitian. I mean, if you've been to Jamaica and you've been in Brooklyn, the only difference is the weather. You know what I mean? And the surroundings, the way things look, it's just the culture is the same. Queens. There's a neighborhood called Jamaica, which is one of the Queens, one of the like most high density parts of Queens. And while there is no relation to why it was named Jamaica, it is also home to a large Caribbean American population. A lot of Jamaicans are there as well. Queens is an interesting place because it's the only county in the entire United States in which the black median income is higher than the white median income, and that's largely to do with wealthy Jamaican American communities that are、uh, basically black suburbia in America, large house in the picket fence and all that. There's a couple of neighborhoods called Cambria Heights, St Albans.、Um, they're sort of become these sort of symbolic places、uh, in Black America. In every sense of the word, Jamaicans have contributed in the medical profession, hospitals, churches, schools. Jamaican teachers, Jamaican doctors, lawyers, well represented more than any other Caribbean island we can think of. Believe me. And it is really a big achievement for me personally to see, like after almost 40 years, that things have made a, a total turnaround, and so much now that every other person you meet say, "You know, I want to be a Jamaican, or I know a Jamaican, or I wish I was Jamaican." You know, because of the impact and the, the strength of the culture that has such a strong impact over the entire New York area. I can tell you that we, made, we have made a large contribution towards bringing the culture of Jamaica into America and spreading it wide. That was an epic show, which I hope compensated for the lack of a pod last week, as it's twice the normal length. Next week there may not be a show, as I'm now the owner of a new Mac and I need to get my head around GarageBand. So be warned. Don't forget to write reviews on iTunes. Right now, in lieu of regular paid employment, it's the closest I get to a wage packet. So please keep those reviews coming in. The podcast awards are here, so please vote for the show under Education at thepodcastawards.com. 
as I think it'd be somewhat fitting if Jamaica could win the award on its 50th anniversary. If you have any questions about the project, you can email us at info at howjamaicaconquerdtheworld.com. You can follow us on Twitter, where we are at HowJamaica. And you can also do that on Facebook, where we are facebook.com forward slash HowJamaica. That's it. I have a little more to say other than, as I say in Jamaica, little more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.